Welcome back, listeners. I'm Mel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the mysterious missing and murdered. Um, yeah. It hi. is like absolute zero in the Midwest. I think we had it negative. It's so cold. Yeah, like negative 50-ish, 53 or 54 wind chill the last couple of days in the in, in the Twin Cities. And like even Send north of us. Send blankets and hot chocolate. Yes, please. And like north of us, we should set up a P.O. box so that people, we shouldn't do that. I don't want to open random gifts from people. Um <laughs> but I don't know what you could find. Yeah, up in like Hinkley it was like negative sixty one. I don't This is all Nobody awful. who's from Minnesota is gonna know where Hinkley is, but that's okay. I mean they can Google it. It's fine. There was a big fire there once. It was very interesting. It's not they have a museum. Yeah, a lot of people died. Some of my relatives almost died, but their names are in the book that they have in their museum of the people who made it. So Ooh. So fun fact one last thing before we dive into this episode about the Hinkley fire. So there were people who were like, well, here's this like pond lake thing. Surely if we go into the water, we'll be safe. But it wasn't deep enough and they boiled alive. That's really, really upsetting and sad. Good thing the episode isn't upsetting and sad, right? Uh. Uh. Okay, so this is going to be a fun one today. There's no murders or missing people. Um, there is only intrigue and mystery and discovery. I'm excited. It's also I can't wait. It's also probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. Um, I only have a few pages here, so um, uh, I don't know. I, I also wanted to do something like a little bit less emotionally heavy than like Yara's murder. That was some pretty heavy content over the last couple of weeks, so. Yeah. Yeah, um, so I'm calling this one the Saddle Ridge Horde. Horde, okay. Horde, um, it, that is its Wikipedia title, um, sources in the in the comments and in the episode description. Um, but I've also got like a little bitty, itty-bitty crime do- drama that's related to it at the end of the story that I want to tell you about. Um, Ooh, okay. It's like a historical crime drama, but again, no murders and nobody was like, nobody died is fine. Um so, so it, it was like crime, like a like crime light, as in on the scale of crimes. On the scale of crimes, emotional it's, toll. It's it's very white collar. Okay. And and not even yeah, very white collar. Um. So in, well, tell in, me more. I am. So in February of 2013, in the gold country of California, the gold country is like the area of California where the gold rush of 1849 happened. Um, in an undisclosed location. Oh, mysterious already. Yes. A couple, uh, known publicly only as John and Mary, uh, were walking their dog on their incredibly rural and large property. Um, I think these people are pretty well off to begin with, but their, their property is, is as I understand it, pretty huge. Um, so they knew the land fairly well. They'd lived there for several years, I think. Um, most of the sources seem to kind of indicate that. But again, we only know them as John and Mary. We don't actually know who they are. Um, we don't know these people. We don't. Um, and, they, and they'd hiked along this trail many times with their dog, and they never really found anything strange on their land. You know, they knew the landmarks. Um, 
but they, they never really knew anything until one very fateful day in February. Now, before I tell you okay. what they found, let me just kind of set the general scene of the area. It's Californian. It's sunny. You know, it's normal, like very hilly California. When you think of like the wine country of California, this is kind of very similar. A um, little bit more. So is it like. Okay, so it's like green. It's not desert. It's not desert, um, but it is like. Is it scrubby? It's scrubby. Yes, that's a yeah. It's, there's shrubs and shrubberies around, abound. Um, okay. There's not. It's not like trees and and you know forested or anything. It's more like prairie and and that kind of area and very hilly. Um, so like I said, the the area. This is the Saddle Ridge Horde. So they had named nicknamed this area Saddle Ridge. Um, it, it's a relatively hilly area of their property, more so than average. And in clear view atop the nearest hill uh, to this area is this oddly shaped jagged rock, which vaguely looked like a horse saddle, hence the name Saddle Ridge. Okay. Um, also near the ridge was a tree, a relatively large tree, um, which at one point had an old rusted can hanging from it. And they know that because the can itself had been there so long that the tree had kind of grown around it. It had been encased in a bow of the tree. Um, So there was a can there that that was hanging at some point. Now, John and Mary would later deduce that the can hanging from the tree and the saddle-shaped rock were probably markers from somebody, like, used, you know, kind of reference indicators used by somebody who is long since dead. Um, Because ten paces straight north from the rock was where they found it. They saw a, it. it. It was a uh, a jagged piece of rusted steel poking out of the dirt. So they dug around it, and um, Mary was. And they act- hadn't noticed it before, right? They never noticed it before. They'd noticed that this was the first time they'd seen it in February of 2013. After pointing it out, uh, after Mary actually saw it first, um, after pointing it out, she took the dog and said, "John, look at that!" And John grabbed a piece of wood and kind of pried it under this metal and pried it up from the ground. And what it was, was about a gallon sized, like pail, like a, like a canister, mm. like a paint pail. Um, and it was all rusted, open, closed, all rusted and okay. incredibly heavy, incredibly mm. heavy. Um, it was that could be either good or bad, right? It was so difficult to lift and so heavy that they thought for a moment that it was probably a bunch of dried up lead paint. Um, like it, they, gotcha. it, it, it occurred to them that it might be like, Hey, this like might be like lead in it or something, even though that's not how lead paint works. That's what they said. <clears throat> so on the way back to the house, they're like, like John is trying to handle and like carry this incredibly difficult, like heavy object. And it ends up cracking open cause it's all rusted. <gasps> and inside was a lot of dirt and sand that from that area, like it wasn't like, like soil or like you know, a bag of sand intentionally there. It seemed like it was just rusted and a bunch of dirt got into it. And poking through the soil, they saw the edge of a single, bright, shiny gold coin. Here for it. Yes. Um, so they returned to, to Saddle Ridge several more times and find several more cans in various stages of decay. They eventually bought a metal detector over the weeks that followed and excavated the area themselves. They didn't tell a single soul. Totally in secret. Okay, wait, hold up. Yep. So was there just one coin in that pail? I'm getting to it. 
Okay, because, like, that's, like, a dick move if you have, like, a hundred cans and just one coin in each. Like, come on. Now, that would be a mystery, but no. Eventually, they would find a total of eight of these cans. Uh, Like I said, in various stages of decay. That contained a sum total of 1,427 pure gold coins. Nice. Yes. That's more than they had before. That's... Much you know, 100% more. more than they have before. That is, that is 1,427 more coins, gold coins, than they had before. Now, fearing the worst, the couple took it upon themselves to hide this hoard, the Saddle Ridge hoard, um, all, all 1,400 coins of it inside an old ice chest. And then they hid that ice chest under a pile of wood in an unspecified location, in air quotes. <laughs> Even- so what is the worst? Like, what is the worst that they're going to get caught and someone's going to be like, hey, that was mine. Yeah, or robbed or... And, like, they have or, to give it back. Or, you know, like, 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 I assume if you find a bunch of gold, like, it's like winning the lottery, right? You can't just, like, like take these things to a pawn shop because someone might just take them from you and be like, ah, oh, it's fake gold. It's mine now. I'll give you 10 bucks for it. Right? That's like, what eBay's for. I mean, oh, but this is so much better, though. Um, so after okay. some, so, okay. so as far as I know, I think this couple is about middle age because they did they this is 2013 and they turned to the yellow pages. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, so they contacted, uh, numismatics, a, a numismatics firm, which, um, would represent the couple from there on out. It's a numismatics firm called Kagan's, um, in, in California. Now I had to look this up. Numismatics is the study of of the it was the I'm sorry the study and collection of coins and currency. So these are your coin collectors. Um, I Legit. assume I assume like stamp collecting is very closely related. It's like it's it's collecting and valuing things not for their like stated currency, but rather for right. like the historical value of them. It's it's literally collecting. Yeah. Um. So they they reached out to this pre- professional currency valuation firm to represent them. I had no idea these things existed, but of course, coin collectors exist. Of course, like like they have like agencies that grade magic cards and Pokemon cards, and you know, well, I mean, it's all the same, but like you know, trading cards and collectible cards. Of course, they have people who do right. the same for coins. It makes sense. Um, now, before I tell you what this firm found out after they assessed this hoard collection. I want to tell you that prior to the Saddle Ridge Hoard, the previous record holder for the largest discovered gold or currency cash found in the U.S. in history was uh, was found by city workers in Jackson, Tennessee in 1985. Uh, the antique okay. gold coins that they uncovered had a face value of $4,500. By face value, I mean that these were like American currency they dug up. They were gold coins, but they were American, like in dollars and cents currency. Um, so like, like a silver quarter, for example, that's a hundred years old is still worth 25 cents as currency. It's still just a quarter. Right. That's how much it's fate. Like you said, face value yeah. is not taking into account the historical or significance mater- of it or whatever. Or material that somebody value. somebody might want or, it for. Right. Or even it's material value. Like, like a silver quarter from a hundred years ago is probably worth more than 25 cents just in its silver if you melt it down. Yes, it is. That's how people have made money before by right. finding old quarters. Right. So, like that. Mm-hmm. but like as a currency, it's still only worth that. So this, this, the face value of um, 
of this hoard in Jackson, Tennessee, was $4,500. It sold for just, well, I want you to guess how much it sold for. Half a million. Double that, and you're about there. It was just over. Wow. It was okay. just over a million. So who got the money in that case? The city workers found it. I didn't actually look that deep into it. I just was like, "What's the next next okay, biggest?" So fine. I looked for it. That's fine. I I assume it was like the city and like probably the workers and like there was probably some acceptable compromise because everybody like all the story that I read about this was everybody was just like super stoked that they found this money. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so the face value, again, I want to stress this, the face value of that hoard that they found in Jackson, the, the runner up behind the Saddle Ridge hoard was $4,500. The face value of the Saddle Ridge hoard, which had, clo- which had coins from very close to the same era as the Jackson hoard, basically like perfectly equivalent, was $27,980, almost six times wow. the face value, Damn. yes, of the Jackson Hard. Yes, six times more. I'm sorry, more than six times as much. Um, so in total, the Saddle Ridge Hoard was made up of $500 in $10 coins, $20 in $5 coins, and um, some various smaller coins, all dating from 1847 to 1894. And it is now con- the largest gold hoard ever discovered in the U.S. in in U.S. history wow. anywhere, okay. like of 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 stashed U.S. currency. Um, following the initial assessment, Kagan's firm was uh, contracted to conserve the material by John and Mary, um, and this is like a. I guess an industry term. They're they're conserving the hoard now, so they're going to collect it all and grade it and price out the coins and give them like a true antiques roadshow assessment. Um, so they contacted a the professional coin grading service of Irvine, California, to perform an independent authentication process of the coins. Um, the PCGS uh, would confirm that all of the coins or or most of the coins that were uncovered were in uncirculated mint condition damn so like i don't know if you're aware of like magic card grading scales like if you find like a, a 10 out of 10 black lotus it's worth like several tens of thousands of dollars they're amazingly expensive um they do very similar things with coins. So it's it's worth noting here that mint condition here isn't like a metaphor. It's not like a, a, a like this is in perfect condition. It's literally no, it these. Came off the mint. <laughs> it literally came off the mint, and were never released for circulation, which is extremely rare since the point of minting coins is to circulate them. Did your cat just right, knock so something off like the maybe, desk? Yeah, my cat's being a jerk. Yeah. It's okay, it's what he does. Yeah. So somebody stole them, right? Maybe. We'll get there. Okay, sorry. I get, get excited. It's so it's so good, though. So these are like mint conditions. Several of the coins would actually become, they, they would go on to become the finest known of their types. So like I say, I say wow. that in air quotes, for which like for coin collectors, this means that these coins become the standard against all against which all other coins of that type are graded. Wow. So remember, there were 1,427 coins. Some of them were worth up to $1 million each. So John and Mary are going to be rich. Oh, yeah. 
Um, richer than they were before on their nice little property. So much richer. So um, throughout the process in early 2014, it's almost a year later, John and Mary made the decision to keep the location of the find, their identity, their address, everything about it fully anonymous. Um, the contracted firm that they were working through, this uh, Kagan's firm, became their, their public representation and their legal team You know, drafted all of the documents to ensure their, their privacy. So after the find went public... John and Mary were contacted by Amazon, of all people, things. By Jeff Bezos himself. <laughs> by Jeff Bezos himself in 2014. Uh, to sell the coins on Amazon's new collectible store. Uh, the arrangement was the first of its kind and would kickstart would kickstart Amazon's collectible coin business. So these coins were the first to ever be sold on Amazon as as coins. And boy, did they sell like hotcakes. I believe they did. John and Mary used the funds to pay down uh, personal debt and have donated, still anonymously, to local charities um, while also retaining some of the collection uh, that they uh, found as keepsakes and heirlooms and all that kind of stuff. So they've they've sold a right. good collection of it. It's unknown how much John and Mary actually made from the sale of their coins, but the estimated total worth of the hoard was in excess of $10 million. Wow. Yeah. So, and, and it probably a lot more than that. Like there were, if you look on the Wikipedia page, I think there were eight coins that, um, were the finest known mint condition of that type. And all of them mm -hmm. are worth in excess of a million dollars. So that's just eight coins, probably worth close to $8 million just for those. And then there's still 1,419 coins to sell. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's the mystery of, of this hoard. Now, especially with like mint condition coins and a, a coin hoard, uh, there's a really good question there. Uh, who put the gold in the dirt? Right. Where gold come from? Why gold in dirt? Why? Why there? Why there? By um, whom? So there's a lot of garbage on the internet. Um, <laughs> um, Someone's like aliens. Oh, God. Some of them are really good, though. Um some of the more mundane ones are like, it was Jesse James and his gang. They stashed the gold there because they knocked over stagecoaches. Same for Black Bart. It's like some Red Dead Redemption, like cow <laughs> cowboys uh, robbing stagecoaches. Um, you know, they like Jesse James and his gang were known for robbing like payroll stagecoaches and taking the gold, right? Um, right. If that were the case, the gold probably wouldn't be in as good a condition. <laughs> Um, right, because it would be well circulated. It would be well circulated, or at least used. Like, uh, you know, there's there's very few cases like minted money usually makes it to banks, and that's how it gets circulated. So it's handled before it ever even would like make it onto a stagecoach. So mint condition, especially like over 150 years later, is pretty unlikely. Um, another bad theory. Um suggests that the hidden cash belonged to the Knights of the Golden Circle, which I think we should do just like a historical episode on. Cause, okay. Cause Are this... they like the Knights of the Templar or whatever? Um, kind of, but racist. Um... Oh, <laughs> no me gusta. It was, uh, so the a bunch of people uh, think like, Southerners in particular think that uh, the hidden cash belonged to the Knights of the Golden Circle and was originally planned to be used to fund a second civil war. So the the KGC, the Knights of the Golden Circle, uh, were an actual real life secret society 
uh, who were uh, anti-abolitionist. Um, so they firmly believed in slavery, and they so believed that the South would rise again. Um, but in a really weird way, because uh, in like a Mexican kind of way. <laughs> um, what? They were, they were called the Knights of the Golden Circle because the original goal of theirs was to annex Mexico, Central America, and the entirety of the Confederate States of the U.S. to form a golden circle of territories. As in, like... Like think about how the Mexico wraps around the, the the Gulf. It's like yeah. a golden yeah. circle of land. Like, quick question: What? Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a real historical thing that I've never heard of. Um, I'm not gonna delve too deep into it here because it's not worth it. Um, but it would also include the slave states of the Caribbean and some other territories in Central America. And it was going to be led by Maximilian I of Mexico, who I'd never heard of, who was apparently the reigning... Right. He's the reigning monarch of the Second Mexican Empire. We got to do something... Uh, we got to do some episode on this, because is... Okay, so wait. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So are the people who are part of this white? So they were racist against black people, but they were totally cool with... Like Mexican Central American people. people and South America. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they're close enough to white, probably. Huh. I don't know. There's huh. really, there's not, there's no logic in racism. It's really. Fair. This is really difficult. This is a difficult, but yeah. So the golden, the Knights of the Golden Circle. This is like, I just stopped writing this whole piece. And I like, I, like I, I started to write more about the Knights of the Golden Circle. I'm like, this is way too much of a tangent. We got to revisit this later. Because <laughs> this is not. You're like, another time. This, Another episode. This is an episode about about somebody finding gold in California, not about about racist secret societies. This is two different topics. So, I'm just gonna leave it there. Got too weird. We're gonna move on. <laughs> okay. But we should. Another theory, perhaps. Yes, it's definitely a theory. So, so this is uh, Civil War uh, version two gold. Um, now, the most likely theory, in my opinion, and the most widely accepted theory. Is that this is the take of one Walter Dimmick, who was the chief clerk of the U.S. Mint in San Francisco in 1901, um, or through 1901, I should say. In June of 1901, while tabulating the end of the fiscal year, Director General George E. Roberts of the Mint discovered that six bags of gold coins worth $5,000 each had gone missing for a total of $30,000 down in gold coins. Um, wow. Chief Clerk Walter and That's a Dimmick. Problem. Yes. Now Chief Clerk Walter and Dimmick, the the person who I just said was indicted for, for this theft, uh, had tabulated that there was in fact no shortage. <laughs> and that the error was just <laughs> That's not suspicious. <laughs> right. And that the error was just a mistake in bookkeeping as opposed to a shortage of gold. Um Basically, everyone else at the bank disagreed uh, with Walter's version of the events, and he was held responsible for the loss. Um, <laughs> so they're like, "I'm not going down for you, buddy." Here's the thing, though: they had no evidence. Their evidence was the fact that he tabulated that the loss didn't exist. Like nobody. But they didn't actually have proof that he had grabbed it and taken it. Correct. Only that he had been the one who said, "Yeah, no, it's not missing. It's fine." And I, I link some articles in the description, like there are articles from 1901 that actually go into the the math of this from like the San Francisco Times and stuff. 
and they're they're amazingly boring but they're like basically they they come to the conclusion that they were in fact thirty thousand dollars short and there was like a bunch of people that that redid the math and a bunch more people that that said yeah no it would have been really easy like he was the chief clerk of course he had access like unfettered access to the vault he could have absolutely taken it (laughs) um and I didn't have, like, cameras to be like, hey, look, we can see you here walking in and then walking out and your pockets are all heavy. Yeah, they had nothing like that. Um, <laughs> so he w- he was convicted, even though they literally only had circumstantial evidence, and he was sentenced to nine years in San Quentin Prison in California. Um, only nine years, though. <laughs> yep, white-collar crime. Uh, he served two years in county jail and then five years in prison before asking to be pardoned in order to help his family who was in supposed need. Um Nobody knows if that pardon was granted. The records are just lost. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Right. So he served seven years in jail or in jail in prison, and uh, who knows. Now, of interest, a $5,000 sack of gold coins weighs about 22 and a half pounds and is the size of about a medium-sized sack of flour. Um, so it's not that so big. not that big. And not that heavy. Like, it... I don't know. I feel like especially with like the fashion of the time working in a bank or a mint, it would have been easy to like slip that under an overcoat and be like, man, a big lunch. (laughs) Or even just take it piece by piece by piece. You know, take 10 here, 10 there. Like he could have done it over the course of a year. Yeah, there was one. There was another clerk that worked at the mint that was like, yeah, he could have taken them in like half bags. Like they don't count the bags there. They just count the coins. So he could have like taken them in half bags and they didn't count the money except at like regular intervals so it was like at the end of their fiscal year in june of 1901 is when they discovered oh we're thirty thousand dollars short now again the face value of the money in the uh saddle ridge hoard was about twenty seven thousand dollars so we're very close to that thirty thousand dollar mark right you're like eh eh right he might have spent some of it um so uh yeah i don't know like he totally could have done it or maybe he was just bad at math and ended up being the guy who got thrown under the bus for someone else's robbery who knows (laughs) he was just the guy that said guy is like phew they didn't figure out it was me thank god walter's bad at math um so after this thirty thousand dollar incident the mint increased their security and revoked access to the vaults for all non-essential personnel (laughs) because why didn't they before i don't know right um, so one of the sources that I found made this whole big deal about how likely was that, that, that Dimmick, how likely it was that Dimmick actually did it and that he, uh, was actually just hired and was really a criminal because they couldn't background check him in those days, which I think is really dumb. Like he was the chief clerk. Like it's pretty likely that he worked there for a while and realized just how easy it was to like smuggle money out and just did it and hoped that as the chief clerk, he could doctor the books and everybody would just take his word for it. Right, or, like, think about office space. Yeah. Like, those dudes had worked there for however long. They weren't career criminals. They didn't just show up, get a job, and then the next day be like, I'm going to burn this place down. Right, right. So So it's very likely that he was just like, I've had it with this BS. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, I hate my job. I hate my life. I'm just going to start stealing money, and who's going to notice? And, I mean, to be fair, if that was the case, they didn't catch on that quick. No, they did not. It took them, like, I mean, we don't know when the money was actually taken, but, I mean, like... They, they only ever counted the money at certain intervals. And this was like at the end of the fiscal year that they discovered it. So, Right. I mean, I if I were him, though, I would have, if I had done that, I would have skedaddled a lot earlier. 
Well, especially since uh, it would have been pretty easy to. He knows when the fiscal year ends. Not only does he know when the fiscal year ends, but it would have been pretty easy to disappear with $30,000 in 1901. Can you guess how much money that's worth in today's dollars? Over a million? Not quite. It's $886,705. Okay. It's, it's, yeah. That's a lot of money, though. And that goes a long way in the early 1900s when, right. when like stuff's not that expensive. Well, like that's adjusted you can for buy bu- like a sandwich for a penny. Yeah, I don't know a hay penny. Like this is probably when hay pennies were still around. I don't know if that's true. I don't know facts. Um, now, there- if you know about what things cost in the early <laughs> 1900s, please us drop know. us a line. Yeah, let us know because we'd like to know how much 30k could really get you. Because like adjusted buying power is only part of the picture, right? Like especially if you look in the U.S. at like median home value. It's like home values have risen way beyond like inflation rates. Like your median home value in in the U.S. is something ridiculous, like four hundred thousand dollars now. Whereas in the nineteen eighties, even adjusted for inflation, it would have been like a hundred and ten thousand. So there are like right. goods and services, especially for cost of living and cost of like commodities that that don't quite match with inflation. This is just like like straight inflation dollars from a website that I Googled, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, there's no telling how much like 30 K could have, could have really taken you in 1901. It probably could have gone pretty far. Uh, I asked the question though, if it was him, why did he abandon it? Like, did he, he didn't die in prison, I assume. So I don't think so. No, I think he was released and I, I couldn't find any more records of him. Like usually if somebody dies in prison, there's, there's records of it. So I'm guessing he didn't die in prison weird yeah but there is one other question to answer about that if it was the mince money okay so i'm I'm listening if if this was actually the take of some nefarious robber from the u.s mint wouldn't like this isn't a historical thing i mean it's not that historical but it's the government's money isn't it in fact Yeah, and and in fact, there have been a bunch of cases in the past where treasure has been found by some person who thought they were the luckiest person in the world and then just seized by the U.S. government because it was the, like, stashed cash of some bank robber. Right. Like, even decades-old, sometimes centuries-old theft that was just left unsolved from a governing body that is still in place. So technically speaking, it, it would be the government's property. Like you're, you're, so why haven't they come calling, huh? Well, on March 4th of 2014, a little more than a year after uh, after the after the find and uh, right around the right about the time that it was being posted for sale on Amazon, the mint, the U.S. mint, uh, the Treasury Department actually released a statement saying, "We do not have any information linking the Saddle Ridge hoard coins to any thefts at." at any u.s mint facility uh and actually went on to say we've done quite a bit of research and we've got a crack team of lawyers and trust me if this was u.s government property we'd be going after it and as of today the Mm. u.s treasury and the u.s mint is not seeking any further action against the saddle ridge horde so 
So do they know where it came from? And they're like, oh, yeah, that ain't ours. Maybe. Like, that's kind of my question. Like, this is, I mean, that's all I had. But, like, it's very interesting because if it really was, like, the the $30,000 robbery from 1901, like, this is a popular theory about this. Like, if you Google the Saddle Ridge Horde, everything you'll find is about the $30,000 taken in 1901 by, by this chief clerk, Dimmick. And I, I don't, if it really was him and it really was that money and it really was theirs, why would the U.S. Mint just, like, give it up so readily considering it's many millions of dollars? Like, Yeah. So That doesn't sound like our government. I know, right? So it, it really does kind of raise the question about where this money actually did come from because it, it seems to me like it might not be the Mint's just based on the fact that the Mint isn't pursuing it as as theirs right i mean somebody obviously had a manufacturer and it wasn't just lumps of gold so it had some sort of formal processing it went through right this is this is minted u.s money like made of real gold in incredible condition that was never circulated it's it's very very odd hmm yeah but that's Hmm. all i had a fun story about some people that you know found a Found some fun gold. And it'd, put... be, it'd be pretty sweet to just be taking your dog on a walk and be like, hey, look, what's that? And you open it and you're like, shit, it's gold. It's $10 million worth of gold. Aw, oh, damn. It's 200 pounds of gold. Oh, shit. I'll take it. That's cool. Get Chipotle. Nice. Right. And get Chipotle every night for a year. And then maybe switch to another restaurant. I don't know. I don't know. Chipotle every day for a year might be hard. There was an Onion article about a guy who actually did eat Chipotle every day for like five years and then just decided he was done with Chipotle. There was a that's, not. That's the Onion, though. No, it was. I'm sorry. It was a not the Onion article. It was an <laughs> Onion-esque headline. It was a real story. I'll put it in the sources. I probably won't. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah. Get out there with your metal detectors and good luck because most metal detectors aren't very good at finding gold because gold's not magnetic. No, it's not. So good luck. So listeners, if you have any cool treasure treasure stories that you want us to cover, anything that is intriguing, has some mysterious elements to it, let us know. Yeah. I'm all about that treasure. I'm also for anything Scooby-Doo-esque. Yes. Like... Like Scooby Doo villains, I'm I'm all for Scooby Doo villains. We need to take a break from the murder and mayhem sometimes. Sometimes, but we'll get back to it. Probably next week. Probably, the week after. But we gotta start before. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. Well, that's Thanks that. For listening. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really have a good intro planned. I just, hi. The beginning of the, 2019 is exhausting so far. In the Midwest right now, it's like negative literally a billion. Um, literally, so close to negative, or absolute zero, sorry, that's what I meant. We're in negative Kelvins at this point. Kelvins? Kelvin. It, the whole Midwest is frozen. 
And if we happen to have any new listeners, I'm Matt, and the person who has spoken for much of this intro is Matt. Did you I just call myself Matt? You did, and it's great. I'm Mel, and and that's <laughs> we Matt. Have to, we have to start over, We're Matt. not starting over. This is perfect. This is great. Into the episode, and then we roll the music. <laughs>